the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to podcast, Care of Cooper Cherry. We have another film episode coming up. Uh, Hell yeah. I have Nick... From Nick at Stellar Boar from Proletarian Contrarian That's Podcast, me. joining me again. Yeah. So we just watched uh, the movie we're going to discuss today is the Man Who Wasn't There. It's the Coen Brothers film. Um, came out in two thousand and one. On Halloween, actually, we <laughs> found out. Um, so a movie that I mean, just preliminarily, just fucking, I mean, flawlessly executed. Yeah, yeah, um, as high and tight as a military haircut. Just, yeah, yes. just Im- impeccably <laughs> produced, like, down the line, mm-hmm. acting, ph- photography, the sets, editing, the sets. music, um, every aspect is... Yeah, just, just phenomenal. Picture, just picture perfect, it. yeah. And so this was your this is your first time seeing this movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually hadn't seen too many Coen Brothers movies, as I was telling you. I think... The last one I had seen was Ballad of Buster Scruggs, but I, I have some gaps there. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I'd never seen this and you recommended it. Yeah, I feel like Buster, the the last several that they've made, have I haven't been as excited about. Buster Scruggs, I mean, it was okay. It's kind of mm. cool. It like hits the kind of, I don't know, whenever you're talking Coen Brothers, you're talking about like there's humor, there's oddball right. yeah. kind of Screwball, elements, yeah. there's... Um, throwbacks to kind of classic era Hollywood shit, but then they do their own kind of very excellent little subtle, they just have yeah. such great little subtle moments. Yeah. And damn. And uh, Men Who Wasn't There definitely had all of that in spades. Yeah. yeah. Um, very, definitely very different than than something like Buster Scruggs. Um, a lot of parallels with Barton Fink, I think, which is another one of my favorite Coens. Um, just that historic, like a, a period piece, this, um, kind of parallels between the, the modern man or the, the contemporary man, I, I guess, um, and, and what, what's going on in the historical context of both respective films. Um, kind of every man, the, the classic anti-hero, uh, protagonist put upon by the world. Um, yeah, that, that's what I found in common with Barton Fink. Yeah. I think this is definitely, I mean, this, the Coens love noir they love classic hollywood and that's mm-hmm. absolutely what this is a callback to oh for sure yeah yeah and i think um it's funny have you ever are you familiar with double indemnity the classic no. kind of noir film no no so it's fred mcmurtry who is like i don't did you ever see the original flubber <laughs> uh not there was an original there was an original oh, flubber. Damn. yeah and fred mcmurtry or mcmurray is the star of that film okay um but it's funny, like, he's almost a spitting image. You'll have to look up Fred McMurray on your phone, or look up Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity, yeah, I'll do that. Um, but let's see, this is a movie, obviously, <clears throat> the Coens, I think, 
well, they'll trade off, I think, credits when yeah. it comes to directing and writing. I believe they started doing that um, by the time of this movie. They're, like some of their earlier films, it's just directed and produced by Ethan and Joel. But yeah, they, they traded off for this one. And I'm trying to find, I thought that, um, I thought that Roger Deakins was our, um, was our DP on the film. But let me see if I can double check that. Okay. Wait, what the fuck? No. I'm like 900% sure that it's Roger Deakins. Um. And whenever you give Roger Deakins black and white, to shoot in yeah it's almost uh it's almost unfair it pops it um a lot of that was aided by a lot of the set design like some of the some of the environments definitely um leveraged the the monochromatic color palette very well but um even apart from that just like scenes of nature um, were very very well shot like the outside scenes are like at at the wedding or whatever um I thought it was interesting. This got a 7.5 on IMDb. It is Deacons. Confirmed. Who is one of my favorite DPs uh, in the game. Most people would know him from. I mean, he's worked on uh, several other Cohen films. He shot No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. A, was, a, a, a Serious Man. A Serious Man. Yep. At least those two. Mm-hmm. And then probably more. Um, obviously, he worked on Blade Runner 2049. He worked on Skyfall, the James Bond film. Mm-hmm. Um, assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Okay. Yeah. Him and like El Chivo, like the Lubitschke guy that works a lot with Inuritu and shot like The Revenant. Mm-hmm. Those are like the two. I mean, I think a lot of people prefer El Chivo mm-hmm. a little bit because um, I mean, what Deacons does is kind of it's less. I don't know. Artful. He's more like just a kind of like fundamentally sound DP, but he always just has these fucking amazing looks. It's yeah. I mean, um, sky, when you, when you said skyfall, like that's not one of the better James Bond movies, but it looks gorgeous. Oh yeah. Um, some, some of the, some of the set pieces in that movie in particular, I mean, no country on its own is like enough said. Oh yeah. The first like five or six minutes of no country. Whenever Llewellyn is like hunting the deer. Out on the range or whatever, just fantastic. Made me want to move to Texas. <laughs> um, this so this on Rotten Tomatoes, we got an eighty-one f- from critics and an eighty-four from the audience. Okay, so within within striking distance, that tracks. But I feel like I mean I usually find how do you f- when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes like what's your feeling or IMDb like I'm f- always felt like I'm more of an IMDb person like. My yeah. tastes more align, I think, with they and the I, rankings there than Rotten Tomatoes. But I think I'm curious to get your opinion. I think IMDb they they don't delineate between critics and and quote unquote fans. I guess right. Yeah, that now you can have like they have the reviews. Well, they're yeah. at the end or like the bottom. You can scroll to and you'll see like what audience members did versus critics. Right. But it's not as that's not the predominant element i think right so they are doing somewhat different things but i mean my i i prefer imdb for that metric alone just yeah. th- the fact that they don't have this 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 bifurcated system um 
when I, most of my friends in, in college were film students and my roommate, um, he got himself banned from IMDb, like a lifetime ban because he got really pissed off in the forums and he just started posting like dick pics. Um, so that, that's my IMDb. <laughs> anecdote. Yeah. It's really sad. Actually, they did away with the forums now. Um, yes. They yes. were getting spammed and yep. like that. That was really a loss, my ex, a huge loss. My old roommate did contri- contribute to that for sure. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I, I guess of the two, um, like if if only for that reason alone, I would go IMDb. Nice, I agree. Um, so just let's try to give a brief synopsis of the film. So sure. we've got Billy Bob Thornton as our lead. Yeah. Ed Crane. He's married to Frances McDormand. Mm-hmm. Doris. Doris and. Period piece, 1949. Yes, at 1949. So we have a lot of elements of, I think, you've got sort of this nascent consumer post-war, World War II era. Oh, for sure. Rumblings. Uh, so you have that element that's very much present and almost maybe the kind of devi- defining it kind of drives the plot. Yeah. Um, I mean, more more drives the plot, like the the, reason, the character motivations and stuff. There, there's especially for Billy Bob Thornton. There's a lot more to it. Um, but at least it's the like the ostensible goal, the ostensible um, prize, I guess. Um, and it really everything that comes back to bite him in the ass in the end is a function of like scamming people or blackmail. It, it's it's money and um, that flush post war economy that drives everything. So what's happening is the wife, Doris, is having an affair with her boss, Big Dave. Big, big <laughs> uh, Jimmy Gandolfini. Hell yes. R.I.P. Yes. All right. Rest in peace. Um, but yeah, he he's runs a, he runs a store. Uh, what is it? A... It's like a general department store. But they... Yeah, department store. That's a good description i think yeah and um he he kind of married into that business just like um just like ed oh, yeah. ed does too that's good connection yeah okay. um because because uh, ed works at the barber shop with his brother-in-law um right. likewise uh james gandolfini he he married into his wife's family's business and he and doris are cooking the books behind the scenes uh, also having an affair um and again the, the reason for this is they want to make an annex store they want to make like a specialty kind of haberdashery store or something um but there's more going on underneath the surface because they're they're involved um and he's unsatisfied with his marriage too and there's all this kind of kind of contradicting push and pull um but then like like in the middle of that all just ed is just kind of like a cipher he's just very very passive to the point of Im, like immobility i would say and so what happened i guess the inciting sort of incident is that ed is somehow approached by this gentleman that is trying he's an entrepreneur and yes. he's trying to get the <laughs> venture capital exactly. exactly yes trying to get that what is it series a funding for his uh, <laughs> uh seed, seed money i think that's, that's what you call it uh his series a money for the fucking chain of dry cleaning yes. locations. <laughs> this, this new invention called dry cleaning, uh, which is which there's is, no water. Yeah, there's no water. It's chemicals. Yes, it's it's safe and clean and efficient. Done with chemicals. That's yes. what we're told. Fucking rips. Yes, <laughs> get your shit. There's no. Yeah. What is it? Was it? What do you say? Like no. 
Uh, like it, no wrinkles or some shit. Uh, it's it's easy it easy on the fabric. Like no, no 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 stress in the fabric or something like that. Yeah. And so, and so doing, Ed has somehow managed to figure out that his wife is having the affair, and so he comes up with this idea to blackmail mm. Big Dave. Yes. Um, for for the the proposed money. Yeah. The proposed which amount. is ten ten thousand dollars. Yeah. And. And I guess there had been an altercation with Big Dave and this entrepreneur, like off off screen, right? Well, yeah, we we get the sense that the entrepreneur he he's clearly some kind of scam artist. Um, he 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 just randomly approaches Ed in the um in, in the barber shop just because he he's he needs a haircut and also he's he's like trying to make a pass at anyone who who will even listen. Um, but yeah, we we learn afterwards that he had approached Big Dave and he had made the same proposal for 10 grand gotten shot down. Um, and so when Ed does his blackmail scheme, um, which also now that I think about it has a parallel with Fargo kind of, yeah, yeah, like definitely be- beleaguered husband and rich, rich in-laws. Um, when, when he throws together that blackmail scheme, um, big Dave, of course, accosts the, the, the traveling salesman, um, and learns from him that Ed is the, the true blackmailer. And so Ed calls, or no, Ed gets called by Big Dave mm-hmm. to the store, Nerdlingers, and... So, and some incredible looking shots, by the way. Nerdlingers at night is, looks really oh, yeah. great. I'm going to get to that. Because uh, usually I'll structure these like, we'll start with... Right, yeah. Our, like the uh, acting and then kind of go through. Sure. Um, so we'll touch I on was, that. I was overcome with uh, <laughs> oh, with yeah, the cinematic was, fervor. It was definitely a beautiful... I mean, black and white, I think, like I said, that's like training wills to some degree, especially for someone like Deacons. But yeah, um, one of my favorite elements of the film. And so they get into a confrontation and then Ed winds up killing Big Dave. Yes, um, with with his cigar knife, um, notably. And he he makes a clean getaway and he, he just kind of wanders back home Um but the next day, his his wife is arrested, um, and in a, in a tragic comic twist of events, his his wife is arrested for the murder that he did, um, because when the police investigate, they find out that she had been cooking the books, um, and she's taken in, and concurrently with this, uh, what's his relationship to the guy from Step Brothers? The, the funny oh, dad uh, character. Okay, so yeah, Richard Jenkins, Jenkins is the actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was the attorney. I think he's like the town attorney. Right. And yeah. And so yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. one that suggests that they hire Freddie Nerdlinger. Or not Freddie Nerdlinger. What is it? Oh, no. Um, Freddie. It, it, it's Tony Shalhoub, uh, King King Shalhoub in, in this role. Um, I will find out the character's name because I forgot to write it down. It's Riken. Reichenbach, I think. Or something like that. Oh shit! Just anyways, it's Shalhoub. Yeah, he's... we'll get to it because I definitely um, have it written down in my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, he winds up defending Doris. Doris commits suicide. We find out later that she was pregnant with yeah. uh, with Big Dave's child, mm-hmm. first trimester or something like that. And there's like a, I guess the they performed an autopsy and found this out, and then. He sort of eds at the bar, or, or no, he gets confronted by this guy that just like this this do gooder, this um commit like county commissioner or county 
county doctor or something who, who had done a postmortem um, autopsy. And um, he thinks he's doing Ed a favor by telling him that. And, and Ed, he has this line. He's like, my wife and I had not had the sex act the sex in many act. years. And <laughs> not performed the sex act. And not performed the sex act. That's it. Excellent. Um, yeah. And, and all throughout this, as, as the investigation and or as the trial drags on and then it ends and then and the investigation starts up um, concurrently with that, Ed gets closer to um, Richard Jenkins' daughter, who's played by Scarlett Johansson. Her name's Birdie, I believe. Yeah. Um, she she becomes she becomes kind of like this this object of of innocence and like future promise for oh, him. Yeah, like some it's sort of yeah, like all, like this figure for him to hang all of his his frustrated aspir- aspirations. aspirations. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she she plays piano. She plays Beethoven throughout the movie. Um, and and the the Beethoven piano music is kind of woven in throughout this part too. Um, it gets to the point where he wants to sponsor her burgeoning music career as he imagines it anyway. Um, she, she's kind of this outlet for him because he spends a lot of time at, the, at their family home. Um, and all of that culminates in a trip to San Francisco, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, where, where there's this... Um, French piano teacher yes. that says that she just she plays the right notes, but she doesn't have... Yes. She doesn't have the Jimi Hendrix, like <laughs> yes. rock and roll. <laughs> Essentially. She doesn't yes. have the Chuck Berry energy. Yes. Um, she She's a very nice girl and she plays nice. Um, and the way he put that, it was, was very like apt. Um, after they get shot down and on the drive back, um, Birdie makes a pass at him. Um, and he, he's, <laughs> he says, heavens to Betsy or something at one yeah. point. Um, and then they crash. They, they get into a car accident. Um, where Ed has a hallucination or a dream or a, a relived memory of living with, with Doris again. Um, when he wakes up, he's going to jail for the murder of the traveling salesman. Yeah, yeah, the entrepreneur. Um, because his body had been found, just some local kid found it in the lake. Um, Who Big Dave. Yes, Big Dave had killed him. And uh, Ed's name was on the contract that was with the dead body so you, you just can't win yeah and so he retains <laughs> <laughs> fuck i'm gonna have to look up this guy's name god damn it this is gonna bother me just too much i have it right here it's um freddie Redenschneider. 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 that's okay, it so yeah he retains freddie Redenschneider once again freddie Redenschneider gives a fucking amazing defense yes, yes. This, this is brilliant and passion like <laughs> Like philosophical treaties. Yeah, like man against the world, man against himself. That this is the modern man, and we get some great point of view shots. Um, but then Doris's beleaguered uh, brother, who had put up the the barber shop um, to get to secure a loan to to pay for Tony Shalhoub, he comes in and he punches he punches Billy Bob Thornton. He's so like, there's a mistrial. Yes, as a result, uh, he. All, all the money dries up, and um, and Ed is stuck with the the public defender, who of course just basically throws the trial. Um, and then we find out that all of this narration that Billy Bob Thornton had been doing with his wonderful voice um, had been Ed in prison writing his story to a men's magazine, who was, and he was getting paid twenty five cents a word for it, or fi- five cents a word. Um, just more of that absurdity of like may, selling your life story, even though you're going to die in a week or whatever. Um, 
Yeah, and then he and then he's killed by the electric chair. He's that fade to black. Yep. Boom. That's it. Fade to white. Actually, it, yeah. it it washes out. Importantly, I think. So just some random knowledge uh, before I forget is uh, the film was mostly shot in California, mm-hmm. places like Pasadena, Santa Rosa, Glendale, and then I think some few other areas like around Sonoma. Sure. And whatnot, which really does set up a nice, I mean, the town square and like courthouse steps and like that yeah. whole thing was like a really great visual kind of really grounded you in that era. Yeah. Yeah. It was very appropriate. It looked like definitely looked like Hollywood, like, like, like what you would imagine a Hollywood picture of the time would look like. Yeah. Um, but let's start out with acting. And as we mentioned, Billy Bob, uh, doing his best Fred McMurray. It's Mm -hmm. McMurray. Uh, and it's, I think maybe it's the hair. Like, if you see a f- picture of Fred McMurray... I did look it up. Yeah, he, <laughs> he has that affect. That exact um, same hairstyle. And kind of look, too, a little bit. Uh, there's a couple of shots where he really yes, that, reminded uh, me of him. There's a, there's a picture here, specifically, I'm looking at just this kind of this downturned um, kind, of, kind of grimace that I'm getting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's from Double Indemnity, too. Yeah. Um, and so then we have uh, Francis McDormand... Yes. She's she's looks, Doris. She looks fantastic. She's our femme fatale. Mm-hmm. She uh did you know that she's actually I can't remember if it's Ethan or Joel, it's but Ethan. she's married yeah. to one of them. Yeah. Um she does a fantastic job. Gandolfini, yes. while he's in the film, is absolutely He's great. Incredible. I mean, <laughs> yes. he's just a phenomenal actor, period. Yes. He uh, crushes it. Um blustering his way through the through his part uh, perfectly. John Polito is the entrepreneur, the, right. the dry cleaner guy who I really, he's a, he's played a bit part in so many mm. different movies. Um, he was like the villain in Blank Man. <laughs> it's a Damon Wayans. Uh, Hell yeah. Parody. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. That's great. It's Damon Wayans and uh, David Allen Greer. Okay. And I'm trying to think who else is in the movie of note. Uh, like, ah. Uh, Fucking Robin Givens, I think. Okay. Um, or wait, no, the whoever, the lady that was um, married to Mike Tyson originally. Damn, I don't know. It might be Robin Givens. I, I like the title Blank Man, though. It's it's like the dumb guy version of the man who wasn't there. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Tony Shalhoub, who also was fucking outstanding. Mm-hmm. Catherine Borowitz portrayed um, Big Dave's wife. Right. Even though, she, and she was also just fucking fantastic. Yes, she is out to lunch in her in her one one role in particular, which is great. Um, Scarlett Johansson, as we mentioned, um, Richard Jenkins. Jenkins, yep. Um, and then there's a, a few other bit players, but I don't. I mean, those are the really significant parts in yeah. the film. Yeah, I'm trying to. Th- who, Aside oh, from the brother-in-law, yeah, who played the brother-in-law? I do we know? don't. I don't know. I didn't write yeah, that guy. one down. Um, but he, he's great. He's just like motormouth the entire yeah. the entire film i just man gandolfini just a titan it's it's everything like he's got so much range with facial expressions Mm -hmm. intonation his body his physical presence is incredible yeah just damn damn he's so good it really is sad that he he didn't stick around for seriously until now basically uh francis mcdormand 
Yeah. I mean, damn, there's not a bad performance here. There's like everyone is at running their A game. Absolutely. Yeah, there there's there was no role. Um even even Scarlett Johansson, like she she's younger here for sure. Um Yeah, cuz this what, came out in 2001. Yeah, yeah. So she she's still pretty young, but like she she was very very appropriate for the role. Um yeah, there there was no one like even even the smaller bit characters, even like the detectives that would show up randomly and never be seen again. Um, like the public defender was was good. He was kind of like Foghorn Leghorn or something. Um, yeah, no, good, incredible casts all around. The way that McDormand, I think, in particular, was one where she's like, they go to the wedding. Yes, and she's yes. gets shit housed. <laughs> yes, um, she and she tells the bride life is so goddamn wonderful you wouldn't believe it yes. <laughs> she she played a good drunk uh it was only for a few seconds but um she she didn't seem movie drunk she just seemed she seemed like pissed off i don't want to be at this function but i i dragged my ass here and i'm, I'm gonna fulfill my obligation kind of drunk the look on ed's face after he kills big dave i thought was in particular one of the great acting moments from billy bob mm-hmm. even though he like crushed the whole movie as well yeah i think um right after he killed big dave is when they started introducing the the beethoven segments as well um because he had also just met um birdie the same night too yeah that makes sense one thing i noticed too after the murder that reminded me okay so the brother-in-law is riding the giant pig garibaldi at the wedding Mm -hmm. for some reason it reminded me the way that Big Dave was like kind of hunched over on all fours, like he reminded me of the yes. pig a little bit. <laughs> yes, like like when caught that, like uh, when he was scuffling with. Well, no, after like he's bleeding out and he's like okay. oh, on yeah. all fours yeah, in yeah, front yeah. of Ed with his like asses in his face. After right? after he was stuck like a pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Catch perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that 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 was good. Um, and I mean, like you you could get really kind of wonky with it. You could say like the 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 businessman like writing right in this odious beast of capitalism and just like it, it, it throws him eventually in the end. Um, and he has to, he has to humiliate himself ritualistic, ritualistically by shoving his face in a pie to try to like ape the creature that he was writing. Uh, interesting. It's a little bit of a reach. <laughs> <laughs> McDormand's face, whenever Ed confesses, sort of, there's yeah. that whole like, it's a really yeah, yeah. great scene because you have, it's like a good Hitchcock kind of mm. vibe to it because you have sure. like, okay, so the audience has this knowledge. Freddie Riedenschneider doesn't really like give a fuck what the truth really is. Like, <laughs> that that was a crazy scene because, um, so it, it's the first meeting of Riedenschneider and Doris and Ed in Doris's cell, um, or rather like the, the prison meeting room. And they're, they're going over their options yeah, for the case. Preparing for the defense. Yeah. And, um, and Reed and Schneider's he's just listing out the case as it appears and saying how tough it's going to be. And then um, Ed confesses. He says, I killed, I, I killed him. Um, and then Reed and Schneider's intrigued. He's like, yeah, go on. Because like <laughs> it, in, in this, in this man, in this, in this tragic man's like the, the comedy and tragedy of his life, like even when he tries to come clean, it's just taken advantage of and spun as another story. That, that, that was such a good setup and betrayal of that setup. It was it was really good. And Shalhoub is just, he's more, mm, he's more confident, 
I think, than because I think most people know Shaloub from like Monk, right? Where he's kind yes. of yes. OCD or whatever. And mm-hmm. I think he's like less. This is like a blustery Shaloub, which is yeah. really enjoyable. This is like to a watch. this is like a role in, in like a contemporary movie that, that they would give to like Robert Downey Jr. or something. Just like a like a smooth, very like fast talking, like dynamo of charisma, but. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I I primarily knew Shaloub from um from from Men in Black, the alien who gets his head zapped off. Um, Men in Black would be a great film. I would I would do a podcast on. Very <laughs> no, I mean I, I think it has risen. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do that one. Oh, we could. It's it's about immigration. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Right, Rip Torn. Rip Torn is in it. Rip Torn. Um, R- yeah. Another R.I.P. 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 Have you ever seen? Uh, now that you're talking about Rip Torn, you're making me think of. Down Periscope no. with Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Oh God, uh, it's just so like many a, so many movies for me to see. Yeah, right. It's a really just you know it's just like a parody of like because it came out right around the time that uh, like Crimson Tide, the like Denzel okay. Washington, Gene Hackman. Okay, but you also had like it's also referencing like Hunt for Red October. Sure. Yeah. Anyways, fucking Rip Torn is great. That sounds great. <laughs> Rip Torn. Rip Torn versus Kelsey Grammer as dueling yeah. dueling submarine commanders. <laughs> Also, Bruce Dern. Nice. Hell yes. But, uh, yeah, it's like a lot of the... Oh, did we mention... I already mentioned Richard Jenkins. Legendary. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, we didn't We didn't talk about him Richard yet. Jenkins? Uh, legendary yes. character actor. Yeah, he's... um. He's... I, again, I only know him from another completely different movie from, from Step Brothers, the, um, the Will Ferrell and... The Will Ferrell movie. But, like, yeah, I know he... Just, like, this beleaguered gravitas to this like small role of like the the, con- the old country oh, lawyer he's so, yeah he's so good um so have, have you not seen six feet under no the hbo show no. oh he's fucking amazing in okay. that show it's it's a bit dour the show or his his role in the show or the show the show is dour, dour so good. yeah it's like a uh a family that runs a um what Funer- funeral home or right yeah. yeah they're whatever undertaker that's not the right word was it morticians Mortici- morticians mortician yeah, yeah. I think morticians so that's like the family business okay yeah I, i've certainly i've it's one of those shows that's been recommended to me there's yeah. just there's too much damn content to consume these days he's fantastic mm, yeah no yeah. he he is good I... uh but yeah i think that covers kind of all i wanted to say about the acting because some of that slips into writing too like it's hard to kind of differentiate and split those sure. out but i think it's good to kind of like give a little bit of an it's good overview. segue from one to the other yeah. too um but next i want to talk a little bit about cinematography mm. so as i mentioned roger deakins the dp um and really just like i said setting him up with a black and white yes it's just not fair actually i'll i'll play this game i, I do this on my podcast um Sometimes when when we introduce terms like film terms, um, just in case the audience sure. isn't aware, and it also helps us kind of yeah. flesh out our thoughts. Um, what would you say a, a DP does, like in just in a, like a summation of, of their duties on a on a shoot? DP stands for director of photography, mm-hmm. and so they are responsible with the actual creating the the look for the film, and so. It's things like, it's a lot of technical things mm-hmm. in terms of like, okay, what lenses are we going to use? What aperture, yeah. framing, lighting, like it's really 
focused on uh, really a lot of the highly technical things like you know how many stops are we going to use right. um lenses uh fuck there's uh, focal lengths you know it's a lot of that kind of shit yeah goes the, into it there's a lot to it um and i i think i mean i i i'm not i'm certainly no film expert like the like an expert on the, the the makings of like cinematography or whatever but i do think a lot of people um confuse what a director does with what a director of photography does yeah and um, i mean some some directors do shoot their own or basically kind of dp their own films sure and so it's kind of like a weird you know it's like a moving sort of loosely thing. So because you yeah. know like maybe people don't know this but you know, even the director or the director of photography might not necessarily be actually operating the camera. You have an actual yes, you have a camera, camera operators camera operator, and yeah. focus pullers and like people like that that are actually and grips like, and yeah, what have you that are responsible for like actually doing that. Of course, like some direct, you know, just kind of depends on the director and what their comfort level is. Um, but I think if I wanted to, if I other than directing, like I, I mean, I would probably shoot my own shit, to be honest. I would want to be the DP on my <laughs> yes. own, because I think that's what I'm most concerned with, is the look of the film. Or that's yeah. what most excites me about movies, is the visual, mm. like the visual aesthetic of it. Yeah, yeah, I think a, D, a good DP or a good director who acts as, as a good DP is crucial. Um, again, not not to be super cinema snobby because that that's not me but like you oh, I you, totally am I don't, I don't give a fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> fuck cinema um but yeah like we like you do see a lot of movies coming out today i, I think like marvel movies i was i was gonna say if, yeah marvel movies they're, they're the easy target um they're competently put together but they're oh, yeah they're not I mean, memorable whatsoever right it's just actually it's just like the french piano teacher Yes. There's they play the right yes. notes, but there's no like they there's play, no they sold. play nice. Yeah, they, they play, play nice, nice. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that's what they're like. Just like Scarlett Johansson plays right. nice because she's in the MCU. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> she's she's getting her own movie soon, the, the Black Widow movie. Uh, but I'm just gonna go through down the list here and just talk about some of my favorite shots. Yeah. from the movie. Yeah, um, I think I got some too. Starting out with the silhouette of Billy Bob smoking the cigarette while Doris is in the tub. And so the, so he's at the door, the threshold of the door Mm -hmm. and the bathroom is extremely well lit. So we get this just amazing silhouette of him from the side. And of course with the black and white gives such an amazing contrast and really just like, I guess the, yeah, the proper term is actually, it's like a bat backlit scene, right? Because, because the foreground is dark and foreground is dark. background is lit up. But you, normally that's sometimes bad, but whatever, yeah. communicating here, perfect. Yeah. And the black and white just that, makes it work. That that silhouette, he, he's so gaunt in this film and like very angular, um, always smoking. Uh, the, the only thing he consumes in, in the entire movie is cigarettes. He, he never eats or drinks anything. Oh, that's true. Um, another moment, and this is maybe a little bit of editing too, is I thought it was a great... Um, What's the, a great insert was the look of it whenever Ed was going to unlock the door to Nerdlingers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, wait, are you talking about that actual shot of him unlocking yeah, the door? So like yeah. So, like, literally the shot of like his hand yes. opening the door. Yeah. It's okay. an insert. So, it, I guess I should define that too. So, an insert would be something like 
where you're cutting cutting away from the main like from the character yeah um, so you know we see i think we're camera basically follows billy bob to the front door mm-hmm. and then we get a cut to just his hands opening the door that's like yep. referred to as an insert right right because you you in in the logic of the script you could skip that scene because you see him outside the you store could skip that shot yeah. that shot yeah and then you see him inside the store yeah so you you literally insert. it's like it's like a transition yeah sort of yeah. right and so um but it's good because he he took that key from his wife's purse and like that's it's laden with this overt me- this like me- meaning bubbling beneath it uh one of the shots that i like and, and i know th- this is the obvious one but um and i know you like this one is when um they're they're i think they're having their second meeting um their second sit down meeting planning the trial um and the light is streaming down oh, from yeah. the 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 prison bars above the like 20 feet above them um and again backlit we, we see tony shalhoub's um his silhouette pacing back and forth um casting this gigantic shadow behind it. it's very very striking yeah uh, this is the visually this is the shot of of the entire film in terms of like just absolutely stunningly yeah. done yeah so the way that this is set up is you've got it you've got an overhead light i don't know how many watts of voltage we're yeah. talking here pretty significant a lot. <laughs> yeah i mean and so the way that the light is casting down on our on our actors mm. is sort of this almost like a pyramid yeah um, or like a ufo good call and it's all so sort of a spotlight even mm-hmm. um to maybe further the the metaphor a little bit yeah but it just is wow yeah. and it's great because we get shalub is he's going in and out of the shadows mm-hmm. we're getting these different shadows cast on his face the contrast is just amazing and he all combined with shalub kind of going over the details of the case yeah <laughs> it's just it's fantastic and the, i mean the, definitely the highlight visually of this, of of the film and this is this is when he's he's discussing the the, like the the defense that they're putting together and he he's like expounding on like this this heisenberg's uncertainty principle and stuff <laughs> right um yeah um some other i mean that was that was that's like the the high water mark mm-hmm. um some other ones though there's a really great profile shot of billy bob when he's driving by the townspeople and he just has yeah. the gigantic cigarette ash yeah yeah that that was that was actually really notable he in, in a lot of scenes when he would smoke um he he wouldn't tap out his ash. He would just let it hang there. Um, that that was pretty distinctive. Uh, so one and this is going to involve editing and cinematography and acting and everything really, uh, culminating in Cinema. this one scene. Is I think actually the first scene where they're discussing the case mm. with Ed, Freddie. Yep and doris yep and so it's and what's great about this is we've got a lot of exposition Mm -hmm. that we're working through and this is almost entirely dialogue and the room is really plain there's not a lot of visual anything going on like there's it's pretty much blank walls Mm -hmm. almost i I think you have like two different colors of paint maybe there's like one stripe but it's like almost bare we have got a table in there we've got our actors so like you know what it looks like bare bones scene did you, did you ever play golden 64 the multiplayer yeah. uh-huh. you know the stack level where it's 
the bottom of it, it's, it's just like this flat wall and the bottom half is just painted green and the top half is just painted oh, yeah. white yeah very stark this is where the cohen's just really display why they're so fucking good mm. is because like i said okay so it's a dialogue heavy scene boring room there's nothing visually striking really about this room and through a combination of camera movement mm. editing and acting they just it was just incredible like yeah. they really pulled off what could have been a really boring scene yes and made it brought it to life and like it flowed yes. and you didn't get bored by you know what I mean? Because a yeah, lot of yeah. dialogue-heavy shit can get bored. Talking right? about a case, yeah. Um, one one in, one interesting visual thing they did with that scene in particular, um, especially contrasted with the with the later scene in that same room. Um, I was I was describing the paint job of the room. It, it, it's literally just like a four foot high stripe of of darker paint beneath. Um, the whole rest of the wall is painted a lighter color, but they set the camera directly on level with that dividing line. So it, um, there's one shot specifically. It's when Shalhoub looks at Billy Bob Thornton. I think after Billy Bob Thornton confesses, but like that, that divider line is just like cut straight through the middle of the of the frame, and it's completely straight, even though like it hits an angle or it hits a corner and turns. Just very very careful camera positioning. There's a really good moment too where Shalhoub's face is so he's got his head is kind of cocked back, his chin is up. And the light is cutting across right yeah. about where his like mustache would be. Yeah, it looked really good. There was one scene I didn't like. Um, I felt it. It really took me out. It's when, when Billy Bob Thornton and Scarlett Johansson are driving back from the music teacher, the the meeting, um, and and when when she tries to come on to him, and he 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 swerves off the road. The car flies through the air. Yeah. And it, it twists over and over. Um, like I, I, I get that it was supposed to be kind of fanciful, but it, it took me out of the moment. It was, it was a little too, it was a little too fanciful, yeah. um, especially in relation to what had like, like the entire rest of the film. I think that was largely like an intentional homage to that era. Like if you had a film, sure. like that okay. kind of noirish era sure. that they're referencing. And I think that's what the choice was about, but actually I'm glad that you mentioned that scene because one of the really brilliant kind of visual yes. cues there is the hubcap. Yes, and I don't think we talked about the UFO angle. We did not. Yeah. We did not mention the UFO angle whatsoever, which is just <laughs> kind of just... like a great... I mean, I did mention a little bit yes. about, um, I guess, so we had two kind of things going on. We had kind of this post, post-World post War II economic consumer society developing, mm-hmm. and then we've got, as part of that too, like this sort of nascent sci-fi element with yeah. references to like the Roswell crash. When was the Roswell? Thing? Oh God. It was like 40, um, somewhere in the forties around that era. It, the people would certainly know about it then. I think, um, also some of the, some of the little kids that come into the barbershop are reading things like, like weird science comic books and everything. Um, at the, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. Like, and, and at the end, um, when Billy Bob is, Billy Bob Thornton's writing his his uh, his story. It's like sent off to a men's magazine, and I imagine it was something like, I don't know, like like 
tales from like lurid fiction and like weird speculative stories it's, it's that kind of publication but yeah so good good call out on setting the table for this because what a very yeah. god one of the just like great like kooky or <laughs> like screwball elements yes not really screwball exactly but like just like absurdist yeah very much a coen brothers thing to do yep. was to have big dave's wife be or his widow at this point yeah so yeah. she comes one night to visit ed late at night and it's kind of like what he's like what the fuck's going on <laughs> and she recounts a tale of how they were camping um in and i forget where e- eugene oregon yes yeah ah, good call yes. eugene oregon and uh they there was a, an encounter with ufo and i guess big dave was ostensibly abducted, abducted or something, or something. <laughs> yes. and so after the abduction well, well i think she was too because she said like or, or she she thinks she was too, or whatever, because she was like, um, they they do horrible things. Like I, I she's like, I can't tell you. They they'll they'll find me, and like they'll they're hearing, they're whispering in the window, or whatever. Like, like like she she was alluding to the fact that she had seen horrible things, and she couldn't describe them. So I I, I think she at least imagines that she was involved in it too. And so another important element here is that they did not have they did not perform the, the sex, sex acts act either. <laughs> Ever since then. Ever since the yeah. abduction. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, that also lines up with the the start of his affair with Doris, um, a, a little more plausibly, but um, but yeah, that basically we we get this UFO flying saucer um, illusion just dropped on us. Yeah, just kind of really out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and it was really creepy to set up. Like, like a setup to it too. Like um, he gets a knock at the door late at night. Um, he goes there and it's this like woman in black just wearing a veil and it's lit really creepy and just very foreboding. And she's like, I saw a UFO. <laughs> just very kind of, the the absurdity kind of deflated it, but in, in a good way. Um, but yeah, the, going back to the crash scene, um, after that scene of the car flying through the air, um, we get another scene of something else flying through the air. It's one of the hubcaps and it looks just like a UFO which is great. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. Uh, let's see. There's a shot on the steps whenever Ed... So Ed mm-hmm. goes to visit the medium. Yeah. And whenever he's leaving, we get this kind of crane overhead shot. and Classic noir. Like. Just great because of the, the light sort of pouring out of the doors and it's kind of running down the steps a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's at this kind of like... Again, a kind of pyramid shape to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he opens the door, and and the only light that's being let out into the street is from behind him. Yeah, right. Um, and then he walks down the he walks down the stairs, and then as soon as he steps out into the darkness, he's gone. Just very like it, it's the image I have in my mind when I hear like noir cinema. That's just that. And I think the, the last visual piece that I wanted to reference was the the final scene in the I guess with the electric chair so we have this mm. white room that god like yeah. again how much fucking light did they pump, pump in just <laughs> pump into that yeah just like 30,000 yeah yeah watts. <laughs> I didn't even think of that but like just to get that effect oh god yeah um, We're, yeah you're talking major it must have been like an oven in there seriously just, yeah. yeah they probably had to get I mean, twenty thousand watts probably to get that kind of yeah. reflection. Because it was it was a fairly big room too. Um, I, th- I think 
I mean, obviously there, there are obvious visual allusions to his barber shop, and he he's sitting down in a chair again, just like sitting down oh, in his yeah. barber shop, and he got it, he got his leg shaved, just like he shaved, like he shaved his wife's leg. Yeah. The the close up to you along, so you have some observers behind mm. this sort of thin window, and we're getting a nice like kind of close up of each of them. The guards that are like leading him to the <laughs> chair have these like really rough faces. Like, yes, they're ruddy cheeks like dick tracy villains or yeah, something like yeah like hardcore <laughs> scarred up dudes yeah um but yeah that i think in terms of cinematography those are kind of the moments that really stood out for me um another thing that stood out to me there it was kind of small but there was um there were a couple of recurring images of the car driving on the road um like through the countryside um but like the the camera's running right along the ground and it's just looking at the, the paint strips pass by oh, yeah. as it drives past, um, specifically right before that crash that he has, but also um, when they're going to and from the, the wedding in the country. Um, I don't know, just it, pay, like paving the inter, intercontinental high, highway was like a contemporary thing at the time, um, ex- expanding the country in the post-war boom. Um, every, everyone, husbands and wives have cars and they can go on day trips and everything. Um, but there's a tedious monotony and crushing monotony to all that um and just symbolized by the road i think too that's another element of um of kind of a callback to the way those scenes were shot in the in that kind of era yeah, of, of yeah. hollywood as well well when i think of like older hollywood films um of of specifically with scenes of people driving in cars i think of people um, sitting in a car on a set and then they project oh yeah um, they project the footage behind them so it gives the illusion of driving um, but yeah no there I, I mean there are some scenes I'm th- like some movies I'm thinking of where they actually feature cars I'm thinking of um, like all about Eve there's a sequence where they drive through the countryside and they get shots from that I'm sure there's more yeah uh, definitely a common technique because I think yeah you would have like so I think the way that they would do those shots in the old, like that you're talking about is you would have like a stationary car yes and yes. then i guess they project footage on like a screen behind them exactly and, and they get stage hands yeah. to move the car to bounce right. up just a little around a little bit any other uh, visual cues or elements um well i hit upon the recurring elements of like chairs um specifically barra chairs and the electric chair but there's also like um I don't know. I don't know how prominent or deliberate the flying saucer this is. The, yeah, the, fi- the flying saucer. Um, one one symbol that I was kind of surprised wasn't as prominent as I figured it would be was the barber pole, the um, the striped infinite barber pole. Um, it's the opening shot of the film, and it's 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 pretty. It pops up a fair amount of times. Like like whenever he leaves the barber shop, it's it's there, but it's never really focused on. It's just always kind of in the background. Interesting. Um, I know there was something that brought to mind like that kundalini kind of spiral what's kundalini um okay so you've seen it it's like oftentimes you'll have like the medical um like that medical thing so it's like the the two the the two snakes that are catechists or whatever yeah like the two snakes that are swirled together like that's the kundalini spiral cool okay yeah and that's what the barber pole is just this infinite swirling loop um just like life (laughs) um Moving on, I guess, to to writing here. Mm. And I, I think just 
the the main idea here is just like this is just this perfect balance of like humor profundity drama yeah that like only the coens can do you know what i yes. mean yes yes um I mean, as Joker says, I used to think my life, I used to think my life was a tragedy. Now I think it's comedy. But yeah, they, um, I mean, that's what they're known for, right? Like black comedy in the midst of kind of a screwball setup that leads to tragedy. Yeah, there's just like this absurd subtlety. Like it's, it's funny. Like it's off. It's funny. It's yeah. philosophical. It does like, and I think maybe that's why, I don't know. That's like this film, I think really tapped into exactly the type of film that I, that I would want to make mm. because it does all of those things. Like there's this certain amount of humor, there's drama, mm-hmm. there's a philosophical message. There's something deeper going on, but it's not too, it's very subtle, right? It's like even the humor, yes. like uh, probably like, I I mean, I know we laugh probably <laughs> we were laughing throughout five, the movie. five or six times just at some of the, the irony of some of this stuff. They're, they're very rewarding films. Um, they, they give you what you put into them. Um, they 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 reward your attention very well i think um and another thing i like about the coens they they do i think like i'm sure there's a couple exceptions but with with most if not all of their films um they're they're very grounded in history um even even if it's a contemporaneous or, or a contemporary film something like um oh god something like fargo which is which was a fictionalized setting but it happened it, it was supposed to be like a, a contemporary piece to when it was made i believe um, there's still an awareness of like the the underlying economic forces at play like on anything from like a global to a local level and there's like a there's a sense of like um the the historical trends and the the tone and the attitudes of the era um that inform character as well as plot beats very well definitely and you see that in like this whole kind of like i said this sort of nascent burgeoning 50s era like consumer yes so we've got our auto automobiles we've got appliances Mm -hmm. things like dry cleaning Mm -hmm. um the the plan to expand uh the nerdlingers into another into another like a kind of a ludicrous store that probably couldn't be its own store today just like it's gandolfini describes it he's like just he's like just haberdashery like just for men just exclusive accessory items like not and um yeah, that, that that's like a very '50s thing to do. I think also the way it's interesting from the economic sort of capitalist lens too. You have the uh, entrepreneurs talking about, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get this first store, and then I'm going to use the right. cash flow Franchising. from yeah. from that first store to like finance the next store, and yeah. so on and so on. Uh, another 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 little um, thing that we missed mentioning is the the entrepreneur character. Uh, he's gay. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he's referred to as a pansy throughout. Um, and he, he makes a subtle, but not too subtle pass. I believe Bob Thornton, cause he picks up on it. He's like, was that a pass? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's like, well, yeah, but he's like, no, don't do that. You, <laughs> um, but then that's the only, only allusion to it. But the, the idea of like closeted queerness, um, the idea of, of kind of revulsion of any kind of sexuality that isn't just strictly monogamous and, and in suburban setting um yeah very very apt and even uh, there was something else i wanted to discuss with that too um with 
the oh i know what it was it was just like i was gonna make a joke about making a pass like <laughs> like i don't know that's just such a anachronistic term now yes. <laughs> it would be <laughs> fun a, to yes. like i don't know maybe posting or something <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. um but there, making a pass at her in the replies yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to that's a post right there that's, that's a post <laughs> Work, workshop and posts here um but there that also paralleled when scarlett johansson made a pass at him oh yeah um, ah yeah nice yeah because he and, and she she offers basically to to blow him in the car and that and that's what causes the crash um and he's not married at that at that point and like and she is coming on to him so like you you would think like a guy of that context would have every reason to like like hell yeah just like enjoy it but he he's really kind of revulsed by it he he's really put off by it, um, I mean in 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 the context of knowing that he had been sexually frigid with his wife for a number of years up to this, um, it it just informs his character very well and it it makes sense given his characterization and in what he holds her up to be Scarlett Johansson. I was gonna wait to unfurl this, but it's it's too poignant to to step aside right now is that I find it interesting like thematically the character of Ed in comparison to everyone else throughout the movie with the exception of maybe Nerdlinger um, is that Ed is almost devoid of desire and uh, he's devoid of any sort of emotion really he's just sort of like He's a um, man who wasn't there really, yeah. I mean, sort of to a T and as, as compared to the wife, um, Doris, she drinks and she is, yeah. you know what I mean? She, she's, she's got it there. She's, she's got an attitude, right? Like she's, <laughs> she, she speaks her mind. She, she's a very typical Coen brothers character. Um, like just, she's got some bombast and fo- wears her foibles on her sleeve. Yeah. Right. Um, um, whereas Ed, on the other hand, um, the literary reference I got was Merceau from Camus' The Stranger. Um, smokes a lot. Maybe that's the taciturn. Very maybe that's the the hook. Yeah, I, I think in it terms is. Of, obviously, um, the Coens would definitely, you know, be I well mean, aware. Oh, for sh- <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like <laughs> yeah. of, of him, it, especially that piece. Um, just in because, like, spoiler spoiler alert for this book that you all should have read in sophomore year of high school. But um, Merceau dies at the end because he he is led to his execution because he he kills he kills the um, the African characters on the beach, um, and at the end he, the only emotion he feels at the end is when he's yelling at the priest. But um, because the priest is trying to tell him that his death and his life meant something, um, but like Ed is even denied that Ed doesn't feel anything. Um, I think the strongest expression in the entire movie from him is when Birdie comes on to him and he gets he gets disgusted um so yeah just just having having his like tranquility disturbed that pisses him off but nothing else does and so because too you have like okay so freddie Reed schneider is he's consuming he's remember mm-hmm. they they go to the restaurant and he's like Chilling i want up. the yeah. i want the fruit salad yes. now <laughs> give me the hot he gets his meal yeah. give me the hot cakes yep right so he's there's a consumption up to, to it toots there's like a desire element um, for Freddie Reed Schneider, yeah. there's the I already talked about Doris yeah. having that she's consuming yeah. the alcohol to excess. Like there's a 
desire element there, right? Um, Gandolfini, his his Gandolfini, his sexual appetite is sexual appetite, his gracious. also, but then his like aggressive nature too. Yep. With you know, basically, he was fucking choking Ed. He was gonna like yep. kill Ed. He obviously killed the the um, entrepreneur. Yes, and so he's alive, right? And then all of that contrasted with with Ed, who's just sort of. And even like he's just, he's, there's a he's ex- just sort of there, but he yeah. Isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. I'm sorry. The brother talks a lot, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's an that's a manifestation of desire too, right? Connection, yeah. Um, and and this ties back visually into that thing I mentioned earlier about Ed. The the only thing he consumes in the entire movie is just cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. Um, he's he's offered food at a couple of key points: food or drink, alcohol or otherwise. Um, He'll, he'll refuse, but someone will like push it onto him, but being like, oh, please, I insist, just have a drink. And it'll be like, yeah, sure. But he doesn't touch it, it's just there. Um, yeah, he, he, he is just a cipher. He, as, as, as Freddie says, he's the modern man. Like, he, he is the man of modernity. Um, just, it's, I mean, I made that joke, like, he's just there. But he isn't just there. But like, like that's that's the paradox. He's not there. That, that that's the brilliance of the title. Like he he is just there, just not doing anything. So he's mentally not there, socially not there. He's like asexual. He doesn't. Yeah, it's so so interesting that too. Like, what was the drive for him to get involved? Right to get to, to get the whole plot rolling. Um, I, th- I think he was just bored because I, I think again, to tap into that, um, the sense of history specifically through an economic lens that we get, um, th- this is like the rise of, of suburban living. This is when, um, you could cultivate hobbies. Like he, he mentions at one point, yeah. like, oh, I think hobbies are weird. I guess all hobbies are weird. It's like, whatever. Um, so the idea of like having this extra time and money to do things um like yeah i guess it just appealed to him he he just wanted some money and um we never find out like what he would have done with it if if this chain of dry cleaning uh factories i guess got got up and running but um yeah like what are his appetites he doesn't drink he does cigarettes that's it cigarettes <laughs> yeah. is it yeah but uh we'll we'll come back to themes i think i just Wanted to point out some of the writing stuff that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, one of the lines, and this is sort of paraphrasing, but it's Billy Bob talking about the hair, which I thought was like a really nice, <laughs> subtle philosophical reference was this hair, you ever wonder about it? Talking to his brother in law, <laughs> how it keeps coming, it just keeps growing. It's part of us. Ah, this, actually, this part yep. is good. It's yep. like, it's part of us, and we cut it off and throw it away. Mm-hmm. Which I think is that shit. That's that's a good really, shit. Like you could, I could spend thirty minutes or an hour just parsing through what that means. You but know, it is so true in terms of like this whole element of like what we are and like what constitu what constitutes us as mm-hmm. like a subject and so forth. And that is something really interesting, like something you don't really think about. But yeah, it's yeah. a part of us, and we we get rid of it and we throw it away. And hair, as as a symbol, is very um, it's kind of paradoxical because it's it's dead matter. We don't feel it, even though we cut it. 
um, but it's living because it's constantly growing. It's, it's just growing and instantly dying. Even after we die, it keeps growing for a little while. Which they say, which he says at one point. Um, another good line I liked, it was when, I think it was, it was one of the meetings with Freddie in the prison. Um, I think it was the first one, but Francis McDormand tells Billy Bob Thornton, uh, you don't have to tell me anything. Uh, no, other way around, reversed. Billy yeah, Bob Thornton tells her that. Yeah, tells her that you don't have to tell me anything. Um, that was in the context of. Um, no, that that was when they first met in the prison. That uh, that, w- that was just them without Freddie. Um, but th- this is, she's like, oh, I don't know what happened. Like I don't I, I don't know what to do. Like I don't know why any of this happened. I I just woke up and there were cops there or whatever. And he's like, you don't have to tell me anything. Um, of course, like ostensibly that means you don't have to tell me you don't have to like explain cause I believe you or whatever, but beneath that, like he just doesn't really care that much, <laughs> which, um, and, and that kind of was evident throughout their whole marriage or th- throughout their whole lives. At this point. What's weird about it, what's, or what's the interesting dynamic is that he doesn't care, but he does. If that makes sense. He has obligations, but he doesn't care. He's not invested in them. Like, I don't know. It, I feel like maybe he does love Doris. You think so? But yeah. You think he loves I think her? he I think he does, but he doesn't care at the same <laughs> Okay. Or like, I don't know, it's just he's on another level and okay, so I'll go to this. Maybe this will help. Um So he's talking he's monologuing about making it out while the rest of the townspeople are in it or down in it, he yes. says. So he's like, he feels like he's escaped to something else. Mm -hmm. To another world, perhaps, or to another level of understanding. Was this his monologue at the end when he's walking to the chair? No, 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 no. This was earlier, earlier on in the film. I think it was after, it was probably after Doris had committed suicide. And he's driving the car in the town and he's, you know, going past the townspeople and he's... Right, right. And he's talking about they... I, I think where that started was he was describing like people feel sympathy for him, but they're, they, they feel weird about it too because it, it's a small town and everyone knows that his wife killed herself in jail. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. There's something there. There's an element too. I think it re- reminds me as well. Just maybe Watchmen is on, is on the mind a little bit of a Dr. Manhattan sort of mm-hmm. yep. resigned to, to fate. In a, in a sense he's very fatal resignation yeah he's very fatalistic but i think that gets back to like he he has these obligations and he fulfills them but he doesn't know why he's fulfilling them because he he sure as hell doesn't really care about them but he it, it would never he would never dream of, of of not fulfilling them that that just isn't an option right um which which is similar to the example i use Merceau. um when his his mother dies he doesn't really give a shit but he, he still attends to her funeral and everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think just, I, I think he's he's such a cipher. He just has no conception of love. Um, he doesn't dislike his wife, for sure. That's the thing. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't hate any of these people. He doesn't even hate Gandolfini, who is not only cucking him, but tries to kill him. Um, he just, the, the killing of Gandolfini is an accident. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he doesn't hate, he just, he's completely apathetic. On that note, I thought it was a very clever or maybe not, maybe cliche, honestly, 
with the uh, sort of uh, the Chekhov's knife or Chekhov's dagger or whatever you want to refer to it as. cigar carver, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Which is, so we have a scene, I guess, early on. At when the party. Yeah. They're yeah. Ha- Nerdlingers, they're having a celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed goes and hangs out with Big Dave mm-hmm. and he, Big Dave busts out these rather <laughs> big cigars. Phallic. Very phallic, phallic giant yeah, cigars. Yes. Um, which definitely is, there's some Freudian elements going on, which too, I also think this is an aspect or like a homage to um, double indemnity as well, because there's a scene in, there's a weird section, like homo, like there's homoerotic undertones between Fred McMurray's character and this like police officer who's investigating him. Um, It's like Edward, G. Robinson, sure, is the actor, and like he lights his cigar for him at the end mm. of the film. There, there were some low-key homoerotic aspects to this too, because um, Gandolfini pats his knee at one point very familiarly in that scene. Um, yeah, another oh, and, and another thing, um, a line that Gandolfini says. He says, um, "What kind of man are you?" When they have the confrontation in the office, and then the brother-in-law says the same thing to him after he punches him in the courtroom. He says, what kind of man are you? Um, based in, I guess you could say that there's like this threatening, um, there are threatening questions both times, um, but they occur in very different contexts. Um, presumption of guilt and accusations and everything at the beginning with Gandolfini. And then in the court trial, just the, the brother who had gone crazy at this point of, out of despair when he socks him. They can't, it's like they can't countenance someone without reaction, without desire, or without in someone who's invested in sort of the, I don't know, the status quo or like the expected thing. I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the rat race, I guess, like the, the desire to, to, for, for better things, the desire for anything. Desire period. Yeah. Yeah. Just desire period. Because like if there was, if he was, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, we got something that the, the soul, like what is, yeah. there's a lot of this is discussed mm-hmm. and we reference that. And that's primarily brought to light through this discussion of birdie and her, her piano playing and it not being yes. soulful. It just being, she's it's nice. playing the right notes. She's nice. Yeah. And there's a lot of discussion to some dialogue about soul and about that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that's it, if that's. Yeah, I, I think that's the key to it. And that's why he gets so angry with the, the music teacher, because he the music teacher essentially accuses Birdie of being what Ed is. is yeah. And he doesn't want that no, for her. No. Yeah. He, OK. He, he doesn't care about himself just because he. he he's such a cipher there's nothing to care about yeah he feels like he but, uh, doesn't it's too late for him but, but there's this hope this this little bird of hope she can um, she has the opportunity to to do to do what um, no he, he perceives that she has the opportunity to do these things and and he's projecting all of this onto her yeah and she's just a kid she doesn't care that much maybe uh, that's why he's repulsed by her yes advances uh, I, I I think it's one and the same. He he has no sexual desire, but also he's a, he's he's repulsed by the idea that she she could be like him. Yeah, it's both. 
That's really interesting. I wish we, I wish I had like, oh, could watch the movie like another five times. I mean, it started. Parse this. <laughs> we, we forgot to turn it off when it stopped, and it just started up again. So we we could have. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was the dagger. Back to that. So mm, the the cigar. That thing. was yeah, yeah. So he's Big Dave is using this little knife to loosen up the tobacco and the cigars, et cetera, right, et cetera. Right, right. That ends up being the we, murder weapon. It was very like. Very we, clear that we get an insert of yeah. him doing that. Yeah, um, very. I think clear that okay, this little thing is going to yeah. be of tremendous importance. Remember this. Remember this thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Good stuff. I thought it was interesting. There, the brother-in-law is cutting the older gentleman's hair. Yes, and they're talking about a car, but they're like dialogue. They're talking about pumping and choking. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, I guess while it was kind of throwaway dialogue, but it was kind of funny, like yeah. the sexual overtones there. And while we're on it, masturbation. Um, the maybe that's why the the barber pole is not so. It, that 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 explains the the lack of the imagery of the barber pole, because I, I assume that that would be like a recurring symbol, like or motif throughout the film, but it wasn't. But like that's a phallic symbol. And like it, of course, it wouldn't be there for this barber. Interesting. Uh, let's see. There's a okay. I already talked about that. The alien abduct abduction subplot. Yeah. Yes. Fitting into that kind of weird like Roswell era, or like the kind of early early fifties, late forties mm-hmm. kind of sci-fi vibe. It was also just perfect, like Cohen's to throw that in that that absurdity of like so there there's a brief little scene um right before he's executed um he he kind of wakes up one night and his jail cell's open and he just walks down the hallway and he walks out into the prison yard and a spotlight shines on him and then he looks up and it's not a spotlight it's a ufo that's shining that's shining the light on him and then the ufo turns the spotlight away and flies away and then it just kind of turns yeah, around and closes the door again. Yeah, it, it's um, su- suitably weird, very very like classic Cohen weirdness. Um, he has no desire to escape. No, just again, just like Merceau. Um Yeah, he. I mean, what do you think the UFO meant? Like, was it? Did it symbolize like? the unknown like literally something beyond his experience and that's what he would need to tap into the real yeah that's some like i'm going lacan here but Hell, of, like, of course the of real course. is what escapes uh signification yeah i so mean perhaps it could represent that but then i don't know how to sort of suture that in with the way that it impacted big dave and his wife not having sex after that encounter well i think and then how does that, like, you get the dual symbolism with the other couple, but I don't know how that, I, there's no clear path for me to, like, figure out mm-hmm. how that all fits together or if it even does. I think um, I think from a strictly, like, verisimilitude standpoint, it's questionable whether or not that, that experience even happened, um, what they experienced when it did happen, whether or not... Um, whether or not Gandolfini or just his wife experienced it. Maybe, maybe this is all in her mind. Maybe this is like a, 
fabrication of hers um, to some degree. But I, I think just from the character's perspective of Ed, he just remembered it because it was so fucking weird. It was this weird thing that happened, this weird thing that stuck out in his mind. It, it was it captured the tenor of the time, and it was so alien to him. Um, and we it, it's kind of peppered throughout because, like I was saying, like the kids that he's cutting their hair, they're reading like sci-fi comics. Um, at one point when he's taking a break in the barbershop, he's reading like Time magazine or something. And there's a, a story about, about Roswell, I think. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely is. So it's Before like, that was the story about the dry about dry cleaning. Yes, too. yes, exactly. <laughs> Which was great. Um, Both of those. They're like these these things that are specifically the UFO. It's like this weird new counterculture movement that's kind of encroaching on his on his day to day kind of normalized experience. So it it just symbolizes the future that like new and the unknown and how utterly he rejects that. I already talked about this too, but the just the subtext of Ed confessing in front of Freddie. Yes. And then Freddie instantly kind of like doesn't really like it's either he doesn't care or he doesn't believe Ed. Yes. No, he, he instantly rejects the notion that it's a true confession and he just yeah, spins it. He runs exactly. with it. But Which then so great. But what was the third layer to that is not only does that happen, but then he rejects it as too weak of a tactic to use. He doesn't run with it. He's like, no, no, this the won't truth, work. The truth is too weak of a tactic to go with. And not only is the truth too weak of a tactic, spinning the truth as a lie is too weak of a tactic to go with. We, <laughs> we, we, need, we need a reflection of a fabrication to go with. That's wild. That's another, that's another, <laughs> yes. little, that's another little branch we could dig into. Yeah. Um, because what's also like the other refrain from Freddie is if you look at something you've changed it yes which he he mentions oh my god it's so good in in this folksy courtroom style manner he introduces the heisenberg uncertainty principle and he's like yeah some some kraut bastard came up with this or something but like even <laughs> even einstein says it's right so it must be onto something um but yeah the the idea is like you you cannot look at something without impacting it just the the very the very Once you look at something it changes yes um yeah and that's i mean that that's true in in subatomic physics but that's true in the modern court system i wonder if there's something to that as well like in sort of a like fra- fractal universe right because it's almost you know what i mean it's like those those animated gifs that are the same picture but it is just like yeah yeah like you're getting closer but the it's the curve, same yeah. thing like that um that back and forth uh flying lotus incorporated that into his his visual light show that we saw yeah um so it, sorry <laughs> <laughs> but yeah something about that i think is interesting in the context of i don't know philosophy or what have you mm-hmm. but it's, it's like yeah that visual just communicates that idea of like okay so yeah like you discover this but then that just opens up another <laughs> pandora's it's, it's box a, and like you're constantly it, just in this circular it's an infinite spiral much like the barbershop pool like a dial like a dialectic that goes on forever and there's no resolution there's just more mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like there's never a synthesis achieved and that's kind of what happens to ed throughout the film because every time he 
with like very minimal input from him every time he just like kind of bumbles his way from one one fiasco to the next it's solved for him it's out of his hands but the way that it's solved for him um either makes it worse or causes a new problem so it's just like he's just like he's just like rolling from one disaster to the next one um and the first disaster isn't really resolved it's just like it just fractures ever to just to the next iteration endlessly there's some other thematic stuff like i forget who said this but it was uh something about sometimes knowledge being a curse um uh big jake's wife yeah uh, when and when she's telling ed about the ufo um yeah i mean lovecraftian like very yeah. very um Oh, sometimes knowledge can be a curse. Um, she's referring specifically to the alien abduction that she at least imagines is true. Um, yeah, I mean, Ed, that, that's what kicks off the plot because Ed's knowledge of his wife's infidelity is what prompts him to blackmail Big Jake. Um, a, l- a little bit of knowledge eventually caused his death. Oh, interesting. Uh, that's a good... I like that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I already talked a little bit about Greed and Desire talked about the cigars. Uh, I said the, I wrote, this is a pretty good note. The, the libidinal flows of capitalism and desire are like the kundalini spiral. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, another very prominent uh, recurring motif is the Beethoven music. Um, we That was literally next on my list. That was like, yeah. My question is like, what? What is the significance of Beethoven? Of Beethoven, um, uh, Bertie states it herself at one point. He he's deaf, or he was deaf. Um, he never heard much of the music that he composed. Um, he heard it in his head. Yes, anyway, in some and some he way. and he had that desire to create this to create this music, even though his senses were blunted. Um, complete antithesis of Ed, who just takes everything in he he's this this like he's like this wraith floating through life and he sees it all and he takes it all in but um there's there's nothing inside there's a interesting play like this is kind of nibbled on and i don't think this is like necessarily what they were going for but these elements of like this new um financialized element of capitalism and we talked a little bit about the entrepreneur wanting to okay i'm going to take the cash flow from this first uh, dry cleaning store and Mm -hmm. then open up another one right um but again they reference this whenever they're talking about they put up the barbershop as collateral for the loan to pay freddie freddie and the dialogue where he's mentioning that is really fucking good. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't capture it. Even the um, even the entrepreneur guy, um, when Ed goes to pay him, he pays him in cash, and um, he's like, "Is cash okay?" And the guy's like, "Oh, well, you know." He's talking about a minute, but essentially he says, um, "Nowadays, stuff's usually usually done with with check, um, but I guess cash will work. It's yeah. all it's all money, right?" Um, yeah, that that's kind of alluding to that, like making capital ever more abstract as uh, as the decades march on exactly yeah it's becoming more divorced from the real Mm -hmm. 
and bec- moving towards a virtualization. Yeah. And there's even that like monologue about working for the we work for the bank now, just treading water that I thought was also yes. really good. Uh, I I think I already mentioned this. You know, I already talked about Freddie having his appetites. The lawyer played by Rich, Richard Jenkins had his drinking. Um, let's see. You can't know the reality of what happened if you hadn't hadn't stuck. Looking at something changes it. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Mm-hmm. Science, perception, reality, doubt, reasonable doubt. Sometimes the more you look, the less you really know. That's such that's a the good, only fact there is. That's such a good slick like lawyer bullshit. Like just talk. It's so good. Um, but yeah, Freddie's the best, and that's why he's the best. They say you can't be taught to have a soul. That's what the that was a line from the piano teacher. Mm. We already talked about the the uh, hubcap. There is a cool shot. I mean, this is kind of backtracking a little bit, but just a shot that popped to mind uh, when they were in the bingo hall. Um, the way it's set up, Billy Bob, threatened, he's he's doing his voiceover. He says. Yeah, the wife and I, we we go to church once a week, usually on Tuesday nights, and then it just cuts directly to the crucifix, and you think, like, oh, oh, it's like this heavily shadowed crucifix, and then it pans down, and they're doing bingo. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a, this is, a, I think this is a Freddy line. Um, he's talking about something about Ed being the modern man and cinching mm-hmm. the noose around their own neck. The facts have no meaning. Meaning which I thought was really interesting given our current yeah. era. And um, another just like classic bit of tragic comedy, um, like the, the helpless anti-hero just bumbling from one tragedy to the next one. Um, when he, when Ed is convicted of, of killing the traveling salesman, the entrepreneur, um, and, Ed, and Freddie does come back. He's like, okay, yeah, like I, I normally don't come back to cases, but like I owe you one and you're paying me anyway. You're paying me your house, which is a big important thing he let he mortgages house for that um he gives this impassioned speech and we don't hear most of it but we we hear little bits of it this is when he points to to ed and we see from ed's perspective like freddie pointing at the camera he's like this is the modern man this is like this is today's man this this is you jurors like he, he he's giving these things and it's like this very impassioned um defense but then doris's brother punches just punches Ed and says, what kind of a man are you in response to all those questions? Um, and then the trial is, it's, we, we had a mistrial declared and it's thrown out of court and that just ruins everything. Um, very, very thematically appropriate. Cause like even like the one time where he, he tries to get out of something and he puts his own resources into saving, into improving his own position, into improving his own problems and it almost works, but it just gets undercut by the end brutally. By by passion, by reality, by this grieving brother who has feelings for his dead sister. Just literally socks him in the jaw. That's good analysis, man. <laughs> I don't have anything to add on to that. I'm at I'm at the end of my notes. But yeah. damn, what like I said, there's absolutely zero fat on this movie. No. Zero fat. No. It is woo, it's the pacing is fucking good. And it's lean and sinewy as Billy Bob Thornton himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, pa- the pacing's great. Um, t- 
tone is pitch perfect. Just I mean, just absolutely perfectly yeah. executed film from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, definitely can be seen as a black comedy, but like still has enough pathos to really dig at you after you, after you turn it off. Um, the look is so, is so perfect that everything about the cinematography we were getting to, uh, the music is thematically appropriate as well as just tonally. It just works. Um, even like just the down to the sound design was fucking yes. great in this. I'm so um, glad you mentioned that. There, there was like the gra- walking on the pea gravel. Yes, in particular was yes. one of the little moments that I just really fucking enjoyed being a film nerd. In the beginning, um, when he's shaving Doris's leg. Oh yeah, the, the, the scrape of yeah. the razor against the, her little stubble. Oh my god, the stubble on her leg. It's so good. And then just splashing the razor blade in the water. That too. Yeah. So good. And he had a good line too. There's a bit of dialogue too that I think fit really well with what he whenever that like thematically matched, but I don't remember what the specific bit was. Um, when he shaves her legs. Yeah, and whenever he's like specifically cleaning off the right, razor, right? Um, he's doing he's monologuing with yeah. the voiceover. Yeah, and that, that's another interesting aspect. I mean. I would say most of his dialogue is monologue to, is a voiceover. Voiceover, yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which is appropriate. Cause like people have to talk, there's a lot of awkward silences and Oh God, the, sorry. I'm just keep, I'm, I'm just going still, but like the coins are so good at that too. Um, in all their movies, creating and maintaining awkward silences. And they do that thing. I hate just as an audience member, just like, cause you get, you feel awkward too. It's like, do something, say something. You want to talk at the screen to break the <laughs> silence. Um, but fittingly that ties into his character too it's so good it's about like knowing that's that's direction it's like knowing yes. when to direction and editing knowing having how, an awareness of that of both those kind of like and knowing how long to let those silences draw out for before they it gets just comical any other thoughts on this movie uh it's it's good shit everyone should watch it I think that's that's where I'm at. Um, great, great time in my life to see this movie. <laughs> I, th- I think um, also it, this is going to sound absurd. It kind of ties into Joker a little bit, I think. Um, just the... Kind of, yeah. A, a lot of surface elements, just the, this, this beleaguered modern anti-hero. Um, and when I say anti-hero, I just mean like a non-heroic person as a protagonist. Um just surface level stuff, but it, it it was there. The first time I watched this movie, I remember it being very much, uh, or like, I remember being attracted or most mostly enjoying the nihilism of it. Yes. <laughs> but I think this time around, I definitely felt like it's not, wasn't as bleak as I remembered it being. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I think the humor stood out a lot more on this this screening than it did previously when I just, like I said, I just, I I like a fucking nihilistic. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Utter hopelessness, but. (laughs) And, um, and I mean, there, there are contrasting, like everyone else in contrast to Ed isn't, is, has, has things they care for, has those desires. Um, he's defined by what he's not, um, and what he's not is there or, um, or desiring of anything. What did uh What did Birdie say? Okay, so she she said she did not want to be a professional musician. What did she want? She's like, I don't know. I want to be a veterinarian or anything or something. Uh, and I interpreted that just as like, 
Well, well, no. First of all, she said, I don't even know if I want a career, which implies she yeah. she's going to marry a guy at a young age and be a housewife. That's how I heard that. And, but then she, but then after that. I wasn't that, sure. She said But that. I was like, yeah, I, I don't want a fucking career. Either. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. No one does. Uh, yeah. Maybe that was just one of the like subtle moments of rejection of the fucking. <laughs> she's also what? Machine. A junior in high school. Yeah, she's, you know, right. But uh, it, any other th- thoughts remaining? Um, no, we, we went through that pretty well, I think. Well, let me give you an opportunity in that regard to go ahead and, and plug all of your shit, man. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'm going to plug is uh, my podcast. I do it with my friend Lewis, uh, Proletarian Contrarian, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Um, Cooper has been on for, we did Dune recently. Uh, we do have plans um, to have him on for, I think, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's gonna be so much. Fun. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Hell yeah! Uh, but yeah, good. It's fun leftist podcast. We we watch bad movies and try to emphasize the good aspects of them. Um, give it a little bit of a leftist spin. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's what we do. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Nick, for coming on the pod. And yeah, thank you. This is podcast. Care of Cooper Cherry signing out. See you later. The very rules of eating of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is the whole state of things, in view of violence without object This is the typical violence of What happens there is the murder of the queen, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Whitewashed, lobotomized people, as in uh, clockwork orange.